Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Say It Loud Network and Mean Old Line Media presents the history of being black. Welcome to another episode of The History of Being Black. I am still Eunice Elliott, and I'm still one of the most fortunate people on the planet to get an opportunity to talk to some of the most amazing Black folks I've ever had a chance to meet. And I oddly get a chance to meet folks here on the podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe, and don't forget to share. So today I have a really interesting guest who has a really interesting passion and purpose. And let me just go ahead and introduce Dale Smith. He is the co-founder and CEO of Acclinate. But I'm going to let Dale tell us, what is Acclinate? Well, Eunice, I appreciate you having me and um, really excited to share some of the work that we're doing with Acclinate. So Acclinate is a trusted digital health company educating and engaging diverse individuals to be able to make informed health decisions. And the key for that is the fact that um, our industry for the longest time has engaged with people of color in a transactional nature when they need something or want something from them. And by that industry, I'm talking about the healthcare industry. And so we're approaching this in a very different way. We're approaching this in a way of being able to engage with people about health-related issues that might impact them and their family. And it's through that process that we're then able to identify, in this particular instance, when we talk about research and clinical trials, opportunity to engage people on research and clinical trials that could be a benefit to them. Okay, so a lot of folks in our community, once you say clinical trials, we have stopped listening to you. So talk to me about the history of why Black folks tend to not want to participate in clinical trials and why it's important that we do and how you're leading the the charge on that. Well, clearly, when you talk about clinical trials and mistrust, you typically hear about the Tuskegee study, right? Tuskegee study that that seems to be ingrained in our culture. Um, uh, and, and it's, and it's for right, rightfully so. I mean, clearly the Tuskegee study happened starting in 1920s and carried on to the 1970s where unfortunately our government in the name of science was experimenting with, um, uh, blacks in terms of, uh, saying that they were treating them for syphilis when in fact they were, uh, wanting to watch and see how the disease progressed in them. And so these were individuals who thought they were coming to be treated, but they were actually being part of an experiment, uh, that left many of them in, in cases much worse off health wise. And so we would love to say that that's only one instance and that type of thing has never happened before in our history of our country. Uh, but that is not the case. And unfortunately, we have other examples of people of color who have either been mistreated or taken advantage of in the name of science. And we can talk about Henrietta Lacks, and there's unfortunately many more examples. And so we know that that's, that exists, uh, but we, we run into a situation where we have drugs that are being developed that do not have the input and participation of people of color. And as a result, we have drugs that are being created that either have less efficacy or negative side effects based upon a person's race or ethnicity. The example we commonly talk about is albuterol. Many people know albuterol as as an inhaler that people will have for asthma. 
but they do not know that albuterol has been shown to be less effective for 67% of Puerto Ricans and 47% of blacks. And that means that if you're part of this demographic group and you have an asthma attack, when you pick up albuterol, it may not save your life. It also describes why many young black children, when they go to the doctor for asthma, the doctor is writing two or three different prescriptions saying, try this. And if this doesn't work, try this. And if this doesn't work, try this. Where our white counterparts, they typically are prescribed albuterol as a single drug. And and it also, unfortunately, Eunice, partially describes or explains why young black children die at four times the rate of asthma as their white counterparts, because the drug that they're picking up is not working. And that sounds horrible, but that could have been identified if we had enough people of color, African-American, Puerto Rican, in this case, in the clinical trials to be able to detect that there were differences in the drugs. And so that's really what we're trying to do in our efforts, in our work, is to educate people to be engaged so they can make informed decisions, but also help them understand that not being part of this um, uh, process means that they may actually be part of a clinical trial unknowing to them at the end when they're taking these drugs, hoping that it's working for them. Right. So you end up being an experiment one way or the other. (laughs) Uh, You'd rather be on the front end. I want to go back to when you mentioned the Tuskegee experiment. A lot of times people will throw out the Tuskegee experiment and you you expressed it perfectly. A lot of times people, the, the folklore of it is the misnomer that they gave these people syphilis. And so that's not what happened. They diagnosed people and then told them they were treating them. But they, in actuality, even though penicillin had been used effectively or discovered during that time, they never were treated. So sometimes people say, no, Tuskegee, they gave all these people syphilis. And it was just that they did not treat people. But as you said, told them they were being treated. Um, Tell me, um, you mentioned also Henrietta Lacks. I've learned about her in recent years because there have been movies and, and stories done about her. But for our listening audience, tell us a little bit more about the story of Henrietta Lacks. Yeah. Henrietta Lacks is a, a fantastic story. And, and there's actually a movie that I think Oprah Winfrey starred in. Uh, if people are interested in kind of really understanding the story without having to pick up a history book. But uh, Henrietta Lacks, she had a, a very unique attribute in her cell structure. And this attribute in her cell structure basically allowed for her cells to reproduce indefinitely. And uh, and that's un- that's unfortunate for her because, of course, it created significant health challenges for her having these cells that reproduced indefinitely. But from a scientific standpoint, um, what happened is that once the doctors discovered that this was going on with her cells, they were actually able to essentially take her cells and use her cell structure and the fact that it would reproduce indefinitely to create so many modern medicines and modern aspects about how we treat people with diseases uh, and, and and the idea that there's still these cell lines that are directly coming from or have come from Henrietta Lacks cells. That The tragedy of that whole issue is that she nor her family ever were notified that one, they were utilizing her cells for this, and two, all the money that was made off of drug development and medicines that came from that cell line, none of that ever got back to benefit her and her family. Of course, she had passed away later on. And so it's just, unfortunately, another example of how um, people of color were exploited in this particular case because of some benefit that we were able to provide without there being adequate uh, acknowledgement and representation and even compensation. 
compensation, definitely, because as you mentioned, her cells are still being used in labs, various labs around the world today. Uh, and her family did end up suing and whatnot, but that they didn't even tell the family that they had been using her cells for this research. So tell me a little bit about you, uh, Dale. How did you come to have an interest in this field? I mean, it seems to be so uh, niche that like, how would you come to know that this was something that's obviously needed? How did you come to be involved in it? Well, it's very much a personal story. I think anybody who goes down this path of entrepreneurship, uh, there's always a personal story that's tied to it. And for me, when I was young, my mom passed away from tuberculosis and I actually was there helping take care of her. And I saw her go to the doctor and they prescribed her a drug and the drug didn't work. They prescribed her another drug and that didn't work. And unfortunately, by the time they had prescribed a third drug, she was too far um, into her disease state. And they called it drug-resistant tuberculosis. And what we now know uh, from uh, fairly recent research is that if a genotype had been performed on her, they could have determined which of those three drugs would have had the greatest effect on her. And it could have changed the outcome. But we just didn't have that knowledge of understanding about how drugs work and how drugs interact with people's genotypes. Uh, and, and when she passed away, Eunice, I went searching for my biological father and I found him. And unfortunately, he had passed away from cancer. And the surprise wasn't that I existed because the family didn't know that I was even uh, uh, a possibility. But I found out that he and every single male on his side of the family passed away from cancer before the age of 50. And so wow. there was this tremendous shock that there was a living male relative. And I have three sons. And at the time I had two sons. And so it was this realization that, wow, there's obviously something going on with my genetic um, profile that would lend itself to where I need to be more conscious about my environmental aspects of how I eat and how I take care of myself. They impact my future as it relates to cancer and for my sons as well, too. And at the time, I was much heavier. I was a really big boy, as I used to say, and, and uh, not taking care of myself. And that understanding, that knowledge really transformed the way that I take care of myself in terms of exercise and eating. And, and all that goes back to this idea of understanding how important our lineage and our uh, genetic makeup and our profile, even our ethnicity, plays a role in our health. And then the understanding that the more knowledge that we have, the more we can make informed decisions that may change that outcome, both for the present and to the future. And so it was that experience that really kind of laid the groundwork. And from a, from a professional standpoint, uh, my background is in healthcare information systems and in technology and uh, processes. And uh, I know that you are a University of Alabama alum, as I am as well. And uh, I got a Ph.D. from the University of Alabama in management and MIS. So it's just a kind of a culmination of that experience and that 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 expertise that really allowed this particular solution and our approach to really gel for Acclinate. I didn't. I did not get. I did not get a, a PhD from nobody's college. <laughs> but I still go off So it's interesting because in in learning more about your own genetic background, one most of us don't go searching for those answers. And the other part of that, a lot of times in our community, I think we just kind of accept that if Grandmama and Big Mama had the sugar, we gonna have the sugar. And so you spoke about how you start taking more uh, of an active role in your health and in your diet. Um, 
but then also is still important about the medical side and, and the medication. Speak to our listeners about how important, you know, we don't want to rely on medication to, to get well. That is really important for us to take those, make those own, those changes for ourselves as we are still looking to have better representation and options in medicine. Yeah, it, it really is important. And I'll give you another more recent example of that. I had some health uh, concerns about a year back and, and I went to my doctor, my primary care physician, and I said, will you run the battery test because I know something's not right here. And she ran the test and, um, and interesting enough, uh, I, I was one of the earlier people on that wave to actually uh, contract COVID after a trip to New York City I made before I knew that there was a hot spot. But I had to run through all these tests and I knew something wasn't correct, wasn't right with me. And I got the results back on my portal, my electronic portal, before I had a chance to uh, interact with her. And of course, I saw one of the tests was like out of range, red. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I don't know what it is, but I'm dying. And of course, I connected with her over the phone and she's like, oh, don't worry about that. It, it always shows out of range for black people, right? And oh, wow. and you know, and my primary care physician is an African-American woman. And, you know, she's like, trust me, it does it. The test was designed with and essentially for white people. And the results are different for them. And so it's it's an example of if I hadn't have had a physician that understood that, who could explain that to me, um, the fact that we have a test that's still being ran today on a very important assessment that shows out of range for certain ethnicity groups, like those are the things that we're trying to, in a sense, uh, resolve and try to address when it comes to these health inequalities and health equities when it comes from tests that we, we get from doctors, when it comes to drugs that are being taken. Even some of the most recent research on vitamin D that has come out the past few months you know, whenever we go to the doctor, a lot of times people of color is like, yep, you need some vitamin D supplements because you need vitamin D supplements. And the tests show that. Well, the newest research shows that, wait, our bodies actually not only process vitamin D differently, but the tests that are designed to to assess whether we have a deficiency in vitamin D does not pick up on the right things for people of color. So all these years now, when we've been going to the doctor and the doctor's been trying to prescribe us vitamin D supplements, it could be the fact that we don't really need them, but the tests that are being run are showing that. And so if you can imagine just so many people out there, and I don't want to encourage anyone to stop taking their vitamin D supplements that they've been um, prescribed that, but it, but it just goes to the fact that it's important for us to be an active participant in this process of both drug development and assessment in the process. So what's so interesting in learning more about how even when you're talking about albuterol and how we do respond or react differently than um, white people, you know, I know in a lot of medical schools, there's still concerns about the thought process that black people don't feel pain. And so a lot of times mm -hmm. black people aren't treated uh, with the same care as a white patient or aren't offered as, as many painkillers or, or pain management methods. So. How do we reconcile this idea? You know, we say, oh, skin is just a color. We're all the same on the inside. All our blood is red. But really, there are serious differences. Um, you know, biology, our biology is actually different. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely becomes an issue. And I've used the term race and ethnicity kind of interchangeably at times. And we know that race is really more of a, a way of describing a group of people. And when we talk about something like ethnicity or uh, a genetics that gets more into a kind of a DNA aspect of things. So it's not about the fact that you have a darker skin color that means that we have all these differences. And, and unfortunately, some of the examples that you use, 
it equates to doctors seeing a person's skin color and making an assessment about their pain threshold when that has no direct correlation with any type of uh, genetic or, 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 or ethnicity correlated to science. And so that clearly we need to do away with that because that has caused us so many issues. But what we cannot shy away from is the fact that as we get to be having more precision medicine, that few percentage points of your DNA that was different, but, you know, 97% of it is the same. Well, that, that few percentage that's different when we get to precision medicine that's operating on that particular level could mean the difference of you taking a pain medicine and getting no relief from it at all uh, and someone else taking that pain medicine and getting the type of relief that it was tested on and for. Uh, and so that's what we're trying to address this issue. The fact that it's, it, we're not just talking about aspirin, one size fits all anymore. That as we get to these drugs that are being developed on a molecular level, those differences absolutely matter. So in a space where we're in now, uh, in a pandemic and COVID-19 and how black folks have been disproportionately affected, uh, by it because of pre-existing conditions. And again, some of those pre-existing conditions may be genetic or might be lifestyle. Um, what do you say to black folks who are hesitant to take this vaccine? And I think not just black folks. I think everybody's a little questioning, you know, the, the speed in which this was developed and put out on the market, but black folks specifically, um, what do you say about, you know, what we're going through right now as a community. Yeah. Well, we go to the, the kind of the present question and we, we talk about this where we say we educate and engage individuals to be able to make informed decisions. That is our approach. And, and someone may take our current situation with the vaccines and said, I've heard the information I want to hear from the various different sources and I've made a conclusion that I don't want to get the vaccine. And no matter their reasons, however scientific or non-scientific it is, our approach and our thought process is if you're asking somebody to roll up their sleeve and to put something into their body, uh, they have that right to be able to say whether they are want, they want to do what I do, they do not. And, you know, clearly there's concerns about the speed that this vaccine was developed. There's concerns about, as we've seen with the Johnson & Johnson pause, right, looking at the potential, although rare, the potential side effects that could happen from it. And I think at the end of the day, we just want to try to inform people based upon science. We want to try to not just shove kind of information down their ears to say, here's the information, but we want them to connect with people that, that they trust and that they can relate to. And what we've seen is when, when grandma says, yeah, I got the vac, I got the, I got the vaccine and now I can hug my grandkids again and I feel safe and I, and I haven't had any impacts. That gets people moving and feeling more comfortable and having greater trust than as many pamphlets and commercials that you may put out there. And I think that's part of what we have to understand, too, as a community, particularly our people of color and communities that have gone through this level of mistrust. It's not just about more information, because we realize that the information may be construed or may be given to us in a way that's not in our best interest. But we have to be able to rely on trusted voices, people that, you know, our faith leaders, um, you know, I, the fact that, you know, we have medical doctors that can say, I'm not only a medical doctor, but I am a mother and I go to church and I would never say something to you that I wouldn't um, want to say to my own children in terms of the efficacy and safety of these vaccines. 
Um, and so I think, you know, but at the end of the day, I say all that to say that people have to make their own informed decision and they have to do what's best for them and for their body and for their safety. Um, I have gotten vaccinated and I tell people it wasn't because I just was like, I'm the first in line. Go ahead and vaccinate me. I spent a significant amount of time <laughs> researching and trying to understand uh, before I got to a point. And the other thing I'll say is it wasn't that I wasn't even hesitant when I got my vaccine. I was still hesitant, right? But it, I, I had taken enough information where I, I was able to make an informed decision to say, I'm willing to do this. And I think that's a lot of times what we're unfortunately hearing from our government and from our healthcare institutions, go get vaccinated, go get vaccinated. And we tried to say, you're, you're still in a place where you're trying to tell people to do something um, based right. upon the information that you have versus allowing them to hopefully make their own informed decision. I think that's, that's really important. So at, at this point, I'm fully vaccinated as well. I, I say I've never had COVID. I've never been sick, but I've also never been tested. So that doesn't necessarily mean I've never had it. But, you know, I felt like from the little bit of knowledge I had from about the vaccine, I'm still eating nacho cheese Doritos. And I actually read somewhere that that's like the worst food in the world you can eat. <laughs> so at that point, I thought, really, what, what am I picking and choosing to talk about? So when we talk about your company, Acclimate, it's, it's a, a couple of uh, communities it serves. It serves the medical community in creating this database for Black people to be part of these clinical trials that these drug companies and, and healthcare systems need. But then also you are in touch with the actual community in getting them registered and signed up. So talk to me about the, the all the services of Acclinate. Yeah. So our front facing interface to engage with the community is through our platform called Now Included. So if someone just goes to nowincluded.com and you just put that in the web browser, you will actually see that that is a community specifically geared towards people of color on health, different health related issues. And, and so whether somebody chooses to take part in a clinical trial or not, there's still a value to us. We still want them to be educated to be able to make better health decisions. But it's also through that process with people as we engage with them and as we build trust with them that we have the opportunity to say, Listen, you know, you've been doing searches for diabetes and you've been watching articles and watching videos and contributing to blogs about diabetes. So clearly either you or someone that you care about is, is, is suffering from diabetes. We just think you should know that maybe there's a trial going on down the street at UAB as an example for a, a diabetes drug that could be a benefit to you. And here's additional information and ways that you can find out more about it. And then we leave it up to them to be able to make that informed decision. And that is essentially what we're doing. But we tell the, the biopharmaceutical industries, we tell our contract research organization clients, you don't ever get people's personal information. <laughs> you don't ever have direct access to anyone. Uh, we will, when we feel comfortable with your, your approval process for your trial, we will present that information to the people who are most likely to be able to make an informed decision and possibly benefit from it, but they have to be able to make that decision. And that's what we do as a company. And that's the difference when earlier on you were talking about black folks are usually dealt with in a transactional nature, like yeah. give us your information. And, and you're, you're saying your company does not do that. It really strictly yeah. is for the good of our health and getting drugs that are actually developed for us specifically. That's exactly it. I mean, just to be a trusted source. So there are times when we have to say this isn't the right opportunity that we want to be able to present to community members because we may not have a certain level of uh, comfort in where, what it is. And it goes back to you need, you, you need 
Eunice, I'm sorry, about the trials, we had a lot of pressure for people to say, will you tell people to go out there and get vaccinated? You have a captive audience of people of color who are being disproportionately impacted. It makes sense for you as that voice to tell people to go get vaccinated. And we kept pushing back and saying, that's not what we do. We help educate and engage people so they can make informed decisions and we'll provide that information to them. But we're not gonna be in a place where we're saying to people, go get vaccinated. And so as we engage in a campaign, for example, to work with faith leaders who who wanted to get the message out about that, their messaging was, I got vaccinated and it was important for me for these reasons. And I just want to let you know that. And that was very different from someone with an MD on the back on the end of their name coming up and saying, here's what all the science says. Here's why it's safe. And so you need to do it. So, you know, even when the Johnson and Johnson pause happened, <laughs> there were a lot of people who were like, oops, I've told right. a lot of folks to go out there and get this. And now they're saying there may be complications. And we were there saying, no, we, we just try to provide people with information to let them make that decision on their own so that we wouldn't be in a situation where we have to come back and say, oops, we were pushing you in a direction that maybe we shouldn't have pushed you. And thank goodness. J&J, the pause has been uh, lifted for the J&J. Um, they put some warnings on that, uh, but it, you know, it's, it appears to be uh, proceeding as they had planned in terms of efficacy and safety. And again, like you said, it's all an experiment. <laughs> Either way it goes. Either this is going <laughs> to work or it's not going to work. <laughs> And our toes crossed. So, um, but you also have a database in addition to the community, in addition to, as you mentioned, bioceutical companies, also black doctors who are doing a lot of the work as far as uh, people of color feeling comfortable talking to black doctors. What is that relationship you have with actual black healthcare professionals? Yeah, we we really we're not experts on healthcare, <laughs> and we and we don't want to be experts on healthcare. We are experts in engaging with communities of color. Uh, about health-related issues. And the way that we provide health-related issues a lot of times is by taking the trusted voices that are in, within the medical industry and for healthcare professionals uh, and to be able to allow them to have an opportunity to engage with and and, um, and talk to our, our community. So if you go to nowincluded.com, you'll see things like um, the Jefferson County Health Department and the professionals within the Jefferson County Health Department, you know, relaying information, expressing some, some knowledge that they have. You'll see information from medical doctors at UAB. And we, we, we pay particular attention to ensuring that, um, we reach out to communities of color, even within the health profession so that, uh, they can relay their stories and their lived experiences as well in the process again, and not just be focused on the medical information, but just the fact that, uh, being a person of color in this world has its own unique challenges. And, uh -huh. and so if we, if we have people who understand those unique challenges, but also have the medical background as well, too, we think they're in the best position to be able to, to get information out there to people in ways that, that, you know, they understand and they can kind of digest and make decisions from. So this company, you started this, co-founded this company in 2019. What has been the reaction um, from the community and also from the, the pharmaceutical companies as far as this service and you being this this uh, network um, of, of black folks? Yeah, well, we started pre-COVID and pre-civil mm -hmm. and social unrest. And and we've had a tremendous tailwind behind us as a company since then. And, and um, of course, I hate this situation 
that has created it. Uh, there's been lots of lives that have lost, been lost overall and lots of health disparities that have, people have put the spotlight on that have always existed. Us as a company, uh, it has, has really helped uh, put a spotlight on the work that we do. And of course, that has meant kind of growth. And so we started the company in Huntsville, as you said, in 2019. We uh, opened up our headquarters in Birmingham in December of 2020. And people were like, who's opening up new office spaces in December right. of 2020? But, you know, we were we were growing. And just last month, we actually opened up an office in D.C. And oh, so... Wow. And so, you know, we and we're, we're doing some work um, as it relates to some things uh, on the regulatory side as well. <clears throat> we would like to see the FDA come um, and put more emphasis and teeth behind ensuring that there is adequate representation in the clinical trials before a drug hits the market. And that's something we're, we're four miles down the road from the FDA in our new office. And so we want to be at that table to advocate on behalf of people of color as it relates to health, both for the FDA and NIH. And uh, but so it's it's been it's been good for the company, and we have been uh, really been very fortunate and blessed to be the right place at the right time, despite the challenges that are going on in our country. So we hope that at the end of this, that we've made some type of uh, significant impact on these issues of health inequalities and health disparities as it relates to the specific area that we focus on. I mean, it's amazing uh, in, in the horror of the pandemic and civil unrest that a company like yours would be created in 2019. And now people are talking to black folks about the health disparity and people are talking about black folks needing to be at the table. So that's a wonderful opportunity, definitely, for you and Acclinate. So as our listeners are uh, charged each week, we ask our guest, what can someone listening to this podcast today do to be the change? Hashtag be the change. We don't want people to just listen to the podcast and say, oh, that was interesting. We want them to feel energized and galvanized to be able to do something themselves. And what would that be that you could offer us, Dale? Yeah, I think the most direct request would be to go to nowincluded.com. Again, that's www.nowincluded.com and just see what the conversations are that we are engaged in. And if it's something that you want to engage in, jump in to that community and try to uh, be part of that community in ways where you're either taking information from it and learning from it. And even there's opportunities to contribute your voice and your stories to that community as well, too. And so I think that's the most important thing that people can do. Uh, I tell people this a lot of times, too. The next time you pick up some type of drug uh, or pharmaceutical to take it, um, take a look at the small print. When you open up that box and that package and you go through the small print, there's places on there to talk to you about the process it took to get that drug to market. And a lot of the small print will tell you about the clinical trials and, and some of the more, more recent pharmaceuticals are actually relaying um, the representation for the clinical trials. Had someone tell me a story the other day that they, they heard about us and they went home and that night their wife was opening up a new uh, drug related to her going through menopause. And he says, let me take a look at that. And he looked at the small print and she's a black female. And the small print said this drug has been tested on 2% of black women. And he says, uh, stop until right. you go and talk to your doctor about this drug and find out more. I don't feel comfortable with you taking it. And that's the type of informed decisions we want people to have as it relates to being more engaged and knowledgeable about even the pharmaceuticals that they're taking that's supposed to be helping them improve their health. 
And Dale, that's wonderful because we don't really think about it. Our doctor prescribed it, we get the prescription filled, and we're done. And so to know that that is information that we need to know and we need to take that active, proactive step for our own uh, advocacy in health, um, going to www.nowincluded.com is another step you can take if you're listening today. You know, as you said, you weren't first in line for the COVID vaccine. I think as long as we get in line, we can keep pushing the other one to the front, but we need to start getting in line. So we can start having some medications and and things that are actually uh, for us and that will actually treat us. Somebody's got to get in line. So we might not be first. We'll all be last in line, but as long as we're getting in line. Well said. I would agree with that. (laughs) Dale Smith, CEO and co-founder of Acclinate. What a wonderfully unique and amazing idea and concept. And I'm so proud and glad to know you. Uh, I will claim you as a, a Bama alum, but, you know, of course, we're cousins <laughs> now. So I wish you the best with all the growth and all that's going on. And uh, please, everyone listening, check out nowincluded.com to see where you can fit into the story and hashtag be the change. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode. And until next time, I'm Eunice Elliott for the History of Being Black. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion and say it loud network production.